Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. It's me, Michael Schaefer. There's been a big story in Australia over the last few weeks that I haven't covered so much on this podcast because I've been a bit distracted by the war in Israel and Palestine. That's taken up a lot of my attention, but there is this unfolding story happening in Australia right now involving a defamation trial brought by Bruce Lerman against Channel 10 and Lisa Wilkinson for basically painting him as a rapist. Now, I don't think I'm going to get sued for defamation on my podcast because I don't think I have enough reach to risk a defamation lawsuit. So if you are listening to this, know that what you're hearing from me is... Uh, not filtered. I can actually say what I want because I don't think that this podcast is successful enough to raise any lawsuits from Bruce Lerman. So I'll just get it out of the way. He's probably a rapist. Let's get on with the rest of the episode. So if you haven't been following this story, a few years ago, this is how the story begins. A few years ago, Bruce Lerman and Brittany Higgins were staffers working at Parliament House. They go out one night with a bit of a staff meeting. They have they get drunk, they have some drinks, and then they go back to Parliament House in the early hours of the morning. And Brittany Higgins alleges that at this point of the night, they started making out on a couch or something. At some point... She passes out. She wakes up to find that he's raping her. And she says, "Uh, don't do that. Get off me. He continues. And she passes out again, wakes up later by herself. uh, Her clothes are off. And she's been raped. That's that's what she alleges. Now, I, I tend to suspect that what she's saying is probably pretty close to the truth. Meanwhile, you got Bruce, and the reason why I say that is because Bruce Lerman's recollection of that night doesn't make a heap of sense. Because Bruce Lerman says that, yes, he and Brittany were out drinking that night, and then he went back to Parliament House with her, but he parted ways with her in the corridor, and she went one way, he went the other way. He said that he went back to his office to do some work, to write down some notes. I don't know anyone who goes out on a huge night getting pissed and then at 3 a.m. is like, oh, man, you know what I got to do right now? Um, Administrative tasks. I got to take down some notes that I need to present to my boss in the morning. I don't, I just, it's hard to believe that you'd be 12 beers in and then it would hit you that you have responsibilities. Because usually once you're 12 beers in, all you're thinking about is when is the kebab coming? When, how do I get this Uber Eats? How do I get this Uber driver to take us through the McDonald's drive through I've been very, very drunk in my life. And at no point during that that part of the night have I wanted to do 
work? Have I wanted to go back to my office to do work? I mean, let's be honest. If you're going to lie, if you've been accused of rape and you need to come up with an alibi, you're going to come up with a lie, make the lie at least somewhat believable because no one is going to believe you were doing work. I mean, if Bruce wanted to really have a good defense he should have said i i wasn't there with her i was in another part of the building doing lines of cocaine that that is believable that is something that we'd all be like oh yeah well okay that's that is not great but it's better than rape and also it's kind of exactly the kind of thing you know that a 25 year old would do after 12 beers so she came out and said that uh, he raped her. He denied it. The allegations didn't go very far because, uh, you know, women typically don't get believed, particularly young women who themselves were drunk at the time and whose recollections might be a bit hazy. They're not going to be believed readily. So she, she told a few people around the office about the rape. She, I think she even reported to the, to the police. Nothing really kind of happened though and so then she decided to go to the media and people accuse women for doing this all the time people always say oh you can't trust these women because you know they're going to the media and you know they're just doing it for the money they're just they're going to the media to sell their story for the money i'm not saying that's never happened before there might be very very rare instances of women making up allegations of rape and sexual assault in order to make money or to get attention from the media. I mean, I'm not saying that's impossible. There are some very deranged people out there. I'm not saying that's impossible. I'm just saying it's so unlikely because putting yourself out there in the public eye and saying that you're a rape victim, that's like the hardest... That's such an awful thing to have. To, that's so bad. That's so unenjoyable. As soon as she went on Channel 10 and did that sit-down interview with Lisa Wilkinson on Channel 10, as soon as she did that, the amount of hate and abuse she was receiving from a huge portion of the public was tremendous and would be overwhelming for the vast majority of people. And she would have known that was coming. It makes no sense Assuming she's a, a normal, regular person, and she, she does seem to be relatively normal and regular and not unhinged or deranged when you see her speak to the media, despite the incredible ordeal she's been through over the last couple of years, she seems to not be the type of person who would do that. I mean, I remember when Amber Heard came out and accused Johnny Depp of being an abuser. And a lot of people were like, I think she's crazy because apparently she took a shit in his bed. Look, when those accusations are being thrown at you, I can understand why you might not believe that the woman who allegedly shat in a guy's bed might be a little bit unhinged and perhaps is is making up some claims or embellishing some claims in order to get some personal revenge against the man. I can see how if you've been accused of shitting in a man's bed, that could really hurt your credibility. But Brittany Higgins' credibility hasn't really been tarnished, for me anyway, 
by any accusations of shitting in a man's bed or anything of that ilk, I know that people have been critical of her for saying, well, there are some you know, inconsistencies in her story and what she might have said to her friends and to her colleagues and what she might have said in the, in the news report with uh, Lisa Wilkinson and what she might have said to the police. I, but that's all, there's always going to be inconsistencies when you tell a story to different people at different times. That's just the way the human mind works. You're, there's always going to be some inconsistencies. So I don't think the fact that there might be some small inconsistencies, perhaps exactly around the timing or whatever, I don't think that necessarily means that the entire story is made up. Again, particularly just because the the act of coming forward and saying that you're raped on, in the public, on TV, it just... It's hard to believe that anyone, anyone would put themselves through that unless they genuinely, deep down, believed that they had been assaulted and violated the way that she is. Anyway, her trial, unfortunately, if it did go to, to trial, but then there was a, a mistrial because one of the jurors was found to be reading some prohibited materials. So one of the jurors, jurors had decided to go off and do their own research. I think this was also like in the middle of you know, the COVID vaccine coming out and everyone was like doing their own research at this time. Well, this person decided to go and do their own research on the likelihood that rape victims lie. So there was a study that was conducted, I don't know, by some university and they released a report that basically detailed, um, you know, what what is the what percentage of women who claim they've been sexually assaulted are actually telling the truth and what percentage are not. And this juror was reading this report. So he had gone off and just done his own research. And it's very, you know, it, it's prejudicial, kind of irrelevant, uh, quite damaging information for a juror to have because it hasn't been vetted by either side. It's outside evidence that the juror has decided to bring in themselves. It completely tarnished the, the jury, I don't even know what the report said. I'm not sure if, it's, it, if it helps Brittany Higgins or didn't help Brittany Higgins, but... The point is that the fact that the juror had that in the first place and was thinking about that content when deciding whether or not Bruce Lim was guilty meant that the trial had to be had to be called off and basically started again. Now, the trial did not happen again, partly because Brittany Higgins was so emotionally, psychologically traumatized by the last couple of years that she didn't want to proceed with another trial starting all over again. I think the prosecutor also felt that so much uh, public resources have been put into this trial that perhaps it would be uh, not prudent to go ahead with a trial again when there is a good chance that you weren't going to get a conviction. So there are lots of political and emotional and financial reasons that went into this uh, next second trial not going ahead. Fast forward, now we have Bruce Lerman, the man who was accused of the rape in the first place, He's now getting involved in the courts himself. So he is now suing uh, Lisa Wilkinson and Channel 10 for defamation for basically coming out and saying that he was uh, a rapist and a really, really insidious person. Now, again, like I said, fortunately for you, my dear listeners, you don't have to worry about me holding back because I'm not successful enough. This podcast doesn't have as much reach as a commercial network in Australia. So I can just say that, yeah, Bruce Lerman 
probably a rapist. Let's just proceed on that presumption. So this man is probably a rapist. He's lost, as you can imagine, he's lost a lot of business opportunities, lost a lot of career opportunities because most people don't want to hire a rapist or people who are uh, have very, very credible allegations of rape being made against them. It's it's a bad vibe to have in the office. He's, he finds it hard to get a job now because, you know, when you meet with, you know, HR and they and they say, so, you know, how do you work as a team? You know, what's your biggest weakness? And he says, oh, well, my biggest weakness is sometimes I get drunk and, and then I, I rape a colleague. So that's a hard thing for him to get. It's a, it's a big hurdle to get over when you are, you know, going for the job interview, you know. What's your biggest strength? I, I love to work. In fact, sometimes I'll work at three o'clock in the morning after 12 beers. What's my biggest weakness? I am a rapist. And that can be really, really hard to overcome for certain jobs. Of course, there are some jobs where it's it's basically a prerequisite. Um, I know that Hamas is always looking for new rapists. So I guess it's possible that Bruce Lemon could, could apply to work with Hamas. But outside of... Them, it's it's kind of hard to think of an organization that really supports, condones, and advocates for rape. So he's been finding it hard to get a job. He's he's lost a lot of career opportunities. He's lost obviously a lot of income over the last couple of years while he's been dealing with these very very strong allegations being made against him. So he is now suing for defamation. And now I will say this: Bruce Lerman has already profited a little bit off this story because. After the mistrial, Channel 7 approached him and said, hey, you're an innocent man who's become the victim of this cruel, unjust criminal justice system. I mean, we all know how unfair the criminal justice system is against women. We all know that the criminal justice system is biased against victims of sexual assault. We know that. We know that the vast majority of women who are sexually assaulted, A, will never be able to report it because they don't believe anyone will take it seriously. And B, if they do report it and it does go to trial, know that the prospects of conviction are very low because it's so hard to prove these kinds of things. So we know that it's very, very difficult for women to get just in the criminal courts. Of course, we also know it's very, very difficult for alleged rapists to get justice as well because Bruce Lerman, his name has been, you know, dragged through the mud all because he probably raped someone and he's lost some business opportunities. So thank God that Channel 7 has come along to Bruce Lerman and said, hey, we believe you. Men have had it too hard for too long. Abusers, predators, you know, they get stigmatized by society. They get stigmatized and all they want to do is is rape and sexually assault. I mean, is that is if that's a crime, lock me up. It is a crime. They should lock him up. But Channel 7 says to Bruce Lerman, hey, we hear you're having a rough time of it. Would you like to do a sit-down interview with us to talk about how hard this has been for you? This has been very hard for you. You, the man who probably did the rape, the man who also has been accused of assaulting another woman up in Toowoomba, you've had a rough time of things. You are an innocent victim in all this, and we would like to pay you money 
to sit down and do an interview with Channel 7. So he did this interview with Channel 7 a few months ago. It was like this, you know, puff piece. It was like truly gutter journalism. It might be the worst thing that Australian journalism has done in a very long time. And it's been revealed in these current defamation proceedings that Channel 7 have been paying his rent. The, the part of the agreement was that Channel 7 would pay his rent for a year in Sydney and he's getting $4,000 a fortnight or $2,000 a week from Channel 7 to pay for his apartment in Maroubra in Sydney. Now, obviously, it's insane that... Uh, it's insane when people can profit off being accused of quite credibly being accused of rape and sexual assault. That is crazy that you can profit off that. Like, you you just can't have any scruples if you're at Channel 7. Like, think about the board at Channel 7 sitting around being like, hey, where are we going to put our money? Are we going to do another Dancing with the Stars season? Uh, Are we going to renew our license to play Family Guy on 7 Mates? at 10.30pm on a Sunday? Or is there any money in the budget to house a rapist for a year? That's what Channel 7 have done. And I'll be honest, it's not the first time that Channel 7 have really gone into bat for a bloke who uh, is not a good guy. If you remember, this was uh, maybe a year or two ago, Ben Robert Smith, the now disgraced SAS Special Forces soldier was employed by Channel 7, given like a, a, a position on their board or something. He was in a pretty cushy job at Channel 7 because they believed that he was some sort of war hero. So he came back from service in Afghanistan. He was awarded a bunch like a Victoria Cross and a bunch of other medals for his service in Afghanistan. Then all these allegations come out about how he is a war criminal and he killed all these unarmed Afghani civilians. There was one instance detailed about how he literally took a handcuffed prisoner to the top of a cliff and then literally kicked him off the cliff and killed this unarmed civilian in cold blood. So Channel 7, despite those allegations being made against Ben Robert Smith, still gave him a job, still hired him and backed him really hard because they had previously done this real nice puff piece on him as well. And so I guess what I'm saying is Channel 7 really, they don't know how to pick a winner. Do you know what I mean? Like they've, they've, they started with a guy who we all now are pretty sure was a war criminal. Hasn't been like proved in like an international criminal court, but you know, a civil court found that he was probably more likely than not a war criminal and all of his soldiers who he was leading all came forward and said, oh yeah, the man is an absolute psychopath. He killed all these people. We tried to speak out about it. He made us shut up. He threatened us, etc., etc. The man is an absolute psychopath. So Channel 7 really know how to pick winners. They've, they've aligned themselves with the war criminal, Ben Robert Smith, and now they've really aligned themselves with this probable rapist, Bruce Lerman, uh, it's it's hard to think of two worst people you could have kind of representing a channel, representing 
a brand. I know that like Channel 10 gets a, gets attacked a lot, mostly by racists, because they're like, oh, you know, you've got Waleed Ali as the face of your channel, and he's like the big name on Channel 10. I mean, say what you will about Waleed Ali, and I will say this, one of the best blokes you'll ever meet, one of the nicest guys, known him for a long time, absolute, just one of the smartest, most intelligent, compassionate, good people you'll ever meet in your life. But my point is, you've got, you know, Waleed Ali representing Channel 10, and people are like, oh, you know, how can you have Waleed Ali representing your network? Uh, well, over on Channel 7, they got a rapist and a war criminal. Can we worry? Someone has to talk about Channel 7. Someone has to talk about the ambassadors they have on their network. And the problem with Channel 7 is also is that they're always trying to rehabilitate people's images because they have the show. If you've seen the show SAS Australia, what they do on SAS Australia is they get celebrities who have kind of been cancelled or have had, you know, have been through some publicly embarrassing, you know, you know, incidents, things like that. And then they put them on SAS Australia where, uh, you know, they, they have to go through the, the training program that SAS soldiers go through. And they get, you know, physically and emotionally and psychologically abused over the course of a few weeks. And we all watch along and we find that fun because it's nice to see uh, famous people uh, have a bad time. We all enjoy that. That's, that's, the, that's the premise of most TV these days. Channel 10 has I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here where they just, you know, dunk spiders and snakes and eels on celebrities. And, and Channel 7 has SAS Australia where they just have these British men uh, yelling abuse to them for, for 24 hours a day and they, they don't let the celebrity sleep. It's good TV. It's good TV. But the whole point of that show is to give celebrities who have you know lost some sort of credibility in the public eye a chance to rehabilitate themselves. So they even did this, I remember, a few years ago with um, Craig McLaughlin, the, the star of stage and screen, Craig McLaughlin. He kind of lost a lot of credibility because he was accused of being a bit of a creep, a bit of a predator, a bit of a perv um, on set when he was doing his stage performance. I think it was of Hamlet. So he was accused of like sexually assaulting, being pervy, being creepy, around women on set, making inappropriate remarks, kind of getting his dick out, etc., etc. That all happened. A couple of years later, he does this really nice puff piece on Channel 7, and then he goes on SAS Australia to rehabilitate his image. And on SAS Australia, they're interrogating him. They're like, do you have any regrets in your life? And he's like, yeah, look, I regret, you know, being a, a sexual pervert and a creep. And we're all like, well, you know, he feels bad and, you know, we can forgive him. My point is that Channel 7 has a history of trying to rehabilitate these absolute pieces of shit. So you know, you you know, next year, next year for SAS, you know it's going to be fronted by Bruce Lerman and you know it's going to be fronted by Ben Roberts, Robert Smith. You know, you know you're going to have the rapist and the criminal, war criminal in there. You know they're going to be front and face of the show next year. And look, between the two of them, it's hard to know who's going to win. Obviously, Ben Robert Smith, he has the advantage of being a soldier. You know, he's used to the training. You know, he's got the physical prowess. He's got the stamina. He's got the resilience to get through the the, the show and, and to win the show and get through the course. Uh, Bruce Lerman, though, uh, is uh, probably a rapist. So I think if Bruce Lerman were to try and rape Ben Robert Smith, I think Ben Robert Smith might be like, I did not sign up for this. I'm getting out of, off this show. So it'll just be a fun matchup. It'll be a fun matchup 
to see who's going to win next year's SAS Australia. I look forward to seeing who else they've got in there. Is Cosby available? Can we get Bill Cosby down on SAS Australia? Can we get other cancelled? Is Kanye free? Is he got anything that... He's got a pretty open schedule right now. You know, he's been dropped by all his ambassadors. He's not putting out any new music. Could we get Kanye on SAS Australia? Let's just fill it. I mean, that's what Channel 7 does. Let's just fill it with cancelled celebrities. And it's going to be great TV. It's going to be great TV. Thank God for Channel 7 because without Channel 7, there'd be no hope for people who have done awful, awful things. It's nice to know that if I ever uh, kick an Afghani off a cliff, um, it's, it's nice to know that Channel 7 will have my back. It's nice to know that I can always go to Channel 7 and ask for a job. Other big news in Australia right now is uh, vaping is being banned in Australia. So Australia's going to ban the importation of uh, disposable vape products like the Jules and you know all the other ones, etc., etc. Look, the whole point of doing this is to stop the kids from vaping because right now every kid smells like mango and blueberry and, and strawberry and watermelon. This is what I think. I, I just think that it's a shame how lame the kids have gotten these days. You know, because like back in the day, kids used to be cool. Back in the day, they used to smoke cigarettes. And that was cool. That was really like... Yes, yes, they got lung cancer and they died. Yes, but they looked cool. There's no doubt that seeing a child, a teenager smoking, do you ever, you ever see like, you know, an old movie from the 50s and, you know, they've always got like the young, cool teenager. He's always wearing like a white t-shirt and the, the sleeves are like rolled up a little bit to show off more of his bicep. And inside the sleeve, he's always got a, a cigarette box. Uh, that's where he keeps his cigarettes. And he's always got a cigarette dangling from his mouth. Back in those days, the kids were cool. Back in those days, they were cool. Now they all smell like a fruit salad. It's very depressing that the kids have just turned to vaping and they've gone for something that looks very lame and still kind of kills you. So you, if you vape, you are at high risk of like chronic lung disease and asthma and all these other things. Still kind of kids, kills you, gets you hooked on to, to nicotine, and you're not looking cool. I just think if you're going to participate in something that's deadly, try to look cool while you're doing it. Like a jet ski is, is cool. Like sure, people die on jet skis all the time because, you know, you're essentially flying across, across the ocean at 60 kilometers an hour in a completely unregulated manner and you're probably going to you know crash into a boat or onto the shore or you'll or you'll hit a swimmer but at least you're cool at least you're cool jet skis are cool i guess my point is i think i support the ban on the vaping if it gets these lame children back into cigarettes and killing themselves whilst whilst looking cool that's for me the real drawback of vaping i i also hate the way that you people are vaping any anywhere at the moment i was doing a show the other day and i saw like this really drunk scottish lady in the second row vaping and she was like trying to do it discreetly without anyone knowing but it's like well firstly why does the room smell like passion fruit 
And also, I can see you. You're in the second row. She had it like in her sleeve and she would suck on it in her sleeve, you know, very discreetly. And then she would blow the smoke back into her sleeve to try and hide the smoke. But it's like, I can see you sucking on your sleeve and I can see the smoke still coming out of your sleeve and I can smell it. And I hate the way that vaping can be done anywhere because at least smoking, you can't just smoke in the middle of a comedy show. Like you're going to have to go outside to smoke because it's so smelly and annoying for everyone else. But vaping is like, it's just this awfully annoying light version of smoking that people are now doing everywhere. If you're going to kill yourself, that's fine. But just like go outside and, and look cool while you're doing it. Don't kill yourself in my show. That's very upsetting. In fact, speaking of people dying at shows, a Taylor Swift fan just died at her concert the other week in Brazil. And look, that's that's very sad. That is very, very sad. But Taylor Swift came out and was like, I'm so sorry that she died. I'm so upset by this. I'm so shattered by this. But I don't think it's Taylor Swift's fault because like people die all the time. And the amount of people going to a Taylor Swift concert, statistically, there's going to be some deaths. She's selling millions and millions of tickets around the world. Statistically, there's going to be a few people dying at the show. It's just because people do tend to die every now and then. So I think if you're Taylor Swift, you know, and you don't want people dying at your shows, you're going to have to play to smaller audiences because that way, statistically, there's just going to be fewer people potentially dying. I mean, from, I've never had someone die at my show. That's because I don't perform to millions of people at a time. I once performed on a cruise and I did have a man have a, a heart attack in the middle of the show. Unfortunately, he did survive, which was upsetting because I always wanted to tell people that I had such a great show that I killed. But I wasn't ever really able to make that joke because the man, uh, unfortunately, did survive. So... Uh, I guess what I'm saying to Taylor Swift is um, don't feel bad if someone dies at your show. You're just so successful that you're going to have some people dying at your shows. Also, you're probably going to have some people give birth at your shows. Just statistically speaking, some people are pregnant and give birth and sometimes they'll be at a Taylor Swift concert. So, you know, Taylor, sure, someone might have died at your concert, but let's also not forget the amount of people that have probably been born at your concert and also the number of people that have been conceived to your music. Um... Actually, there's probably been zero people conceived to a Taylor Swift song. I've, I'm going to walk back that statement immediately, actually. I don't think anyone has ever made out or been aroused to a Taylor Swift song. I mean, a Taylor Swift song is there so that young women can yell about their ex-boyfriends and process why their ex-boyfriends cheated on them. That's what... A Taylor Swift song is about processing the demise of your previous relationship. It's not about consummating your next one. So I don't think anyone's made love to a Taylor Swift song. But I think statistically speaking, there will be some people born at Taylor Swift concerts purely because, yeah, there are a lot of people going there. So sometimes people die, sometimes people will be born. It's a real, you get the real spectrum of, of, of life at a Taylor Swift concert. Guys, we've got to talk about the latest updates on the uh, 
war in Israel and Palestine. I know we got through like basically 30 minutes of me not bringing it up this week, but it is still the number one story in the world. So I've got to weigh into what the conversation has been about around this week. So right now, uh, Hamas is releasing some hostages, dribs and drabs. I think they started with like 240 hostages. Now they're down to about 140. So they're releasing some hostages. In exchange, Israel is releasing a lot of prisoners too. So it's good to see like some progress. I will say it is crazy to me that people on social media are giving Hamas a credit for releasing the hostages that they just kidnapped from their homes because Hamas kind of, you know, made them hostages in the first place. I mean, these weren't naturally occurring hostages. They weren't just hostages they just found on the streets. They were hostages. They made them hostages. But yet people on social media are like, oh my God, look at Hamas. They're so kind. They're so considerate. They're such good people. They're releasing these these children, these women and children. They're releasing them. And I don't know how they came by these women and children in the first place, but look at them. It's a, You know, it's like... Every, they're treating the way that Hamas is you know, releasing these hostages the same way you would treat a hero who finds a wallet on the street and gives it into the police. Do you know what I mean? Like, the guy who finds a wallet on the street and gives it into the police is a hero because he found a wallet and he returned it to its its natural owner. But Hamas didn't find the wallet. They, you know, they've stolen the wallet, they've held on to the wallet, uh, and they've said, I'll give you the wallet back if, uh, you know, you do A, B, and C. And then they're like, okay, here's your wallet back. And everyone's like, oh my God, Hamas, so generous. They donated a wallet back. My point is, it just is weird that people are giving Hamas the credits for returning hostages they kidnapped in the first place. And I think it's because Hamas is very good at like the propaganda. Because when they, they're releasing these videos of the hostages being released, and in the videos, like all of the hostages seem pretty chill. They're kind of like, you know, just like, oh yeah, cool, we're being released. And it turns out, there's now being investigations being done into this, is that a lot of the hostages were drugged whilst they were kept in uh, captivity. And then were also drugged uh, during their release, which kind of like kept them docile and malleable and kind of, you know, made them look like they were in a good mood. So these guys weren't like happy. They were just on drugs. It turns out that a few of them were given a a clonopin, which is like, I think it's like a... A Valium type of thing it makes you, it's like a painkiller, makes you really relaxed. Now, look, firstly, let's give Hamas some credit. They don't have to give class A narcotics to their their prisoners, but they did. And I think that's nice because I can't imagine it's 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 fun being stuck in a tunnel for seven weeks, uh, being surrounded by guys who have got guns and who, you know, who might kill you at any moment and there's bombs going off everywhere. I can't imagine that's a lot of fun for the hostages. So if I was a hostage... I would be like, yeah, give me the conopin. Let's do it. I'll take it all. You got Valium. You got heroin. What have we got? What have you smuggled in these tunnels? I'll take it all. So they've given these guys some uh, drugs. And I think we should give them credit for, for giving them, for sharing the drugs. That's generous. But it does explain why some of the hostages were like chill and like hugging and high-fiving their captors. Because they were fucking off their fucking face. Because when you do drugs, you think everyone's your friend. You understand? Like, look, I've never done like MDMA and ecstasy and stuff, but I've been around people who have. Every year at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, on the final night of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, there is a huge party. Massive, massive party. Every comedian goes to the party and 
at some point I'm always like hanging out with my friends, having a couple of drinks. And then at some point in the night, it's usually around 2 a.m. At some point, I find myself completely alone. I look around and all of my friends have disappeared. And I'm thinking, hmm, that's weird. We were just hanging out, having a conversation, chatting amongst ourselves, you know, reflecting on the month that has been at this comedy festival and forming some nice close bonds with our friends. And then maybe about 10 minutes later, they all turn up again. And I'm like, oh, hey, guys, good to, what happened? And they're like, oh, nothing. And they all come back and their eyes are open and their pupils are dilated. And God, they're happy to see me. They come up to me and they're like, oh, my God, Schaefer, I love you. You're the best. I hope you enjoyed the festival. I can't, I, I appreciate you. I, they're so nice to me. Or we just went from just like hanging out, having some chill drinks to all of a sudden they're expressing their love and admiration for me. And I remember thinking that they were just being, you know, my friends were just being really, really nice. And then uh, the next day I found out they were all on MDMA and ecstasy. And, you know, that was a bit disheartening to discover. But the, the point is, when you're drugged up, you think everyone's your friend. If you're on MDMA and ecstasy, you will go and hug the DJ. I've seen all of my friends do this. So, you know, if you're giving the hostages drugs, yeah, they're going to give you a high five on the way out. That's just that's just what's going to happen. You're going to get a high five. So I guess my point is Hamas is very, very good at propaganda. They're very, very good at doing the videos. They're very, very good at getting their hostages uh, doped up on clonopin and whatever else they're giving them. But I'm just saying, if you're on social media, seeing the videos and you, you should look for the, look at the pupils is what I'm trying to say. Look for the pupils because if these guys have got their pupils dilated and they're like, Hamas is my favorite terrorism group of, of all the, they're my favorites. It's like, there's, they're the best. It's like Hamas, daylight, no one else. You know, maybe Al-Qaeda, ISIS, but like Hamas, they're like the, of the terrorists. They're just so, they're such good guys. They're my favorite terrorists. If you see the hostages behaving in that way, there's just a good chance that they're on some sort of, you know, uh, stimulant or down or, or something so just don't believe all the videos that are being put out there especially by Hamas I really don't think you can trust them and the last thing I'll say about this is that there's also now these awful stories about a lot of the female hostages are not being released deliberately by Hamas because they do not want all these women coming out and detailing all the rape that they have sustained and all of the rape that they have witnessed being committed by the Hamas terrorists. And between the drugging and the rape, you got to wonder, is Bill Cosby running Hamas? What is going on at this terror organization? Stop drugging and raping people. I mean, for God's sake, if you keep this up, you're going to have to do a tell-all interview with Channel 7 next week explaining how you are the victim of the war. That's this week's episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, give it a nice review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen because that just helps other people discover the podcast. Come and see me live. I've got shows in Perth and Fremantle in the new year. Then I'll be doing a month at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival with a new show. It's called Lots to Say. That is the name of the new show because as you can tell from listening to this podcast, yeah, I've got lots to say. 
So head to my website, michaelshaver.com, sign up to the mailing list. You'll get an email when the tickets get on go on sale. You won't get spammed. You'll just get one email being like, oh, hey, if you live in this city, uh, tickets are now on sale. Thanks for listening to this, this week's episode. I love you guys so much. You're my favorite. I admire you all. I think you're beautiful and you're the best and I can feel your love and your warmth inside me. I should have mentioned I took MDMA 10 minutes ago and you mean the world to me. I look forward to sharing more beautiful moments with you in the future next week. Good night.